So today we're going to be finishing up Proverbs chapter 11. This is a special request. Someone said you stopped uh, the sermon too soon. You should have kept going through Proverbs 11. So guess what? We're going to keep going through Proverbs 11. There's great wisdom in there. And uh, after the horrendous and heartbreaking loss by the Astros of the World Series, <laughs> yes, uh, the sadness that gripped us all after we prayed for them last week and it just didn't work, but there you go. See, now in life, just like in sports, you need to have a game plan. Can I get an amen from anybody that ever played sports? When you go out onto a field, when you go out to play, you need to know what you're doing. Can I get an amen? If Gary's going to go out there and cut the grass, he needs to know how to start the tractor. Well, that one's not that bad. He needs to know how to engage the blades. He needs to know how to turn that thing so he doesn't run over the, the tank in the back of the, of the church out there. He knows how to do all that, so he's prepared to do his job. Now, here's the thing. In sports, there are three rules to success. This is in sports. And you know what those rules are? If you want to win in sports, you have to practice, practice, and bribe the officials. I'm sorry, and practice. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Just like in, in any kind of profession that is in selling, what is the key in real estate? Location, 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 right? Real simple. It repeats itself. So if you look in the Christian life, what it means to follow Jesus Christ, what it means to be a vibrant, on-fire believer in this day and age, there are three practices found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, starting in verse 12. Three practices that will prepare you to get in the game. A lot of Christians are spectators. I have sad news for you. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Can I get an Amen. Being married is not a spectator sport used for participants only. Now, there's a lot of people who get on the sideline and they want to kibitz the old Monday morning quarterbacks who want to get up there and say, well, you should do this and you should do that. I'm sorry. The last time I checked, it's husbands, you know, and wives clinging to Jesus. Amen. Three people in every marriage, <laughs> husband, wife and Jesus. That's all you need to succeed. You don't need any other voices in there. So these three practices that we find right here in Proverbs that will help us get in the game so that we can live this successful Christian life are these. One, silence is golden. There's the first rule. Silence is golden. Now you're thinking to yourself, that's not a practice. Oh, yes, it is. Take a look. Proverbs 11, verse 12. Proverbs 11, 12. You'll see why I said it this way. Whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. When you go to the person near to you and dear to you and you shoot your mouth off because you're in a bad mood, does that make any sense to anybody? No. What does it do? It causes problems. Now remember what this is, what this is going to. Solomon is the king of a united Israel. In fact, he is the last king of a united Israel. Amen. David became the first God-appointed king. Before that was Saul. So you have Saul, David, now you have Solomon. He wants to unite and keep united his country. What does he do? He tells them this. Whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that you turn your head away and don't say anything when something evil happens, when something wrong happens? Now, if something terrible is going on in the house next door between a husband and a wife, 
it might behoove you to call someone to help in that situation. See, in that situation, silence is not golden. Silence is deadly. How many times have we seen in the news where people will say, oh, well, we knew they were fighting. We knew this was going on, the yelling and the screaming and everything, but we just didn't want to get involved. It wasn't our business. When that's happening, you need to get involved. When you don't like the person's music or you don't like the car they drive or the clothes they wear, just keep silent. It's really not that important. There are only certain issues that are critical to living in a community with people. Now, you know what? If you are a Texans fan, God bless you, and your neighbor is a Dallas Cowboys fan, well, the wideness of God's grace is amazing. It goes to all people in all places. Of course, if you're pulling for a California team, that could be a little harder to understand. But God's grace goes everywhere. Can I get an amen? That is the truth. Okay, so now notice this next one, verse 13. A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. If someone comes to you and says, I am going through a hard time, you know what the best thing you can do is? Listen and keep silent. People oftentimes need us to listen to what's going on in their life. Now, I know that there are people in churches, not this one, because I know y'all too well, who make it their mission in life to gossip to everybody about everything that they hear. Actually, I live in Baytown with my wife and daughter. And as you all know, there is a little um, thing on the Internet called We All Nosy. And believe me, people are nosy. Can I get an amen? People want to know everything about everybody. But you know what? Sometimes it's best when someone comes to you in confidence, keep that confidence. Now, if you get crazy in front of the whole known world and, and screaming and ranting and raving, well, then it's kind of hard to keep that secret. But apart from that, if someone comes to you, they trust you. If they trust you, keep their confidence. You can speak Jesus into any situation if the person is willing to listen to you. Can I get an amen? That's right. Now, when someone comes to you and says, I've got this issue, can I talk to you? You say, yes, you can. And, and then they say, can I ask your advice? Now, remember last week we talked about this. When someone says, what do you think about the Bible? You say, well, I don't have to think about the Bible. The Bible tells me what to believe. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Not because I think so, but because the Bible says so. So if someone comes to you for marriage advice, the Bible is full of marriage advice. Amen. It says a lot about there. Man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. You know how many marriages could be saved if men would leave and cleave? Seriously, how many marriages could be saved if the mama's boy would leave mama behind and cling to the woman God gave him? It would solve so many problems. And I've actually had people tell me, how do I choose between my mother and my wife? I said, who do you sleep with at night? And they think I'm being funny. I'm not being funny. I said, your wife, that's who you go to. That's who you side with. Remember, you asked her. She didn't ask you. So you invited her to this party. You need to take care of the one you brought. Amen? Dance with the one who brung you. That's old, old school stuff. So that's what this is talking about. So where's the silence come in? The silence comes in. You should have everything coming into you and nothing going out of you. Kind of like the Dead Sea. Everything flows in. Nothing goes out. That way you are a repository of trust. 
And if people know they can trust you with small things, they can trust you with the big things. And when they're struggling with spiritual issues, who are they going to go to? The town gossip or you? They're going to come to you. That's the important thing. Without guidance, a people will fall. But with many counselors, there is deliverance. Be willing to go to Christian people, godly people, people who know the word, people who pray, and they can help you go through situations. You need to be that person. In fact, anytime someone says, oh, I've got a problem, I need to go to Miss Kim. Miss Kim will know what to tell me. Or, you know, I'm having trouble with my husband. I need to go to Megan. Megan will have the right words because she believes in Jesus and she's got that Bible in her mind. People come to my wife all the time. How do I do this? And I wonder, why does everyone come to my wife? And then I go, oh, I know why. Because she's married to me. No, just kidding. Um, they go to her because she's put up with me for 28 years. She knows how to endure pain and suffering. Seriously, that's what it is. Okay, keep going now. If someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it. But the one who hates such agreements is protected. That one's a little harder to understand. I had to go back and check the history on this. This verse, if you really break it down, talks about taking responsibility for somebody that you're really not sure about. Taking responsibility or, or giving uh, your security up for someone who may or may not be worthy of that. It means to be very careful who you give your name to. If someone says, can I use you as a reference? Be careful who you say yes to. Because if that person goes and gets a job and that person is not trustworthy, is not willing to work, it happened, this happened at work last week. This, this young lady came in and she didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to work. She didn't want to get up off the chair. And her best friend said, why didn't you ask me about her before you hired her? I could have told you she won't work. Do you know why she won't work? She has a deal with her parents. If she has a job, she has to pay rent. If she doesn't have a job, she doesn't have to pay rent. Our supervisor knew that. But nobody asked her. It should be the opposite. I know. You would think anyways. But here's the thing. When you are listening, when you are silent, when you are trustworthy, people will come to you. Now consider this. Nehemiah 4.2 says this. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day, talking about the wall, Will they, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? So these are the people who are talking trash about the people of Israel who've come back to Jerusalem. They've come back to rebuild the wall, to make it secure. So remember, you have Nehemiah who's come back to restore the judicial, to restore the legislative part of the city. And you have um, Ezra who's come back to restore the spiritual aspects of the city. So you have two men coming back doing two different things. And so everyone is trash talking them, putting them down. Here's the thing that we have to remind people. One, it says these are feeble Jews. Are we, are we feeble people? Maybe we're not all strong. Maybe we're not all the smartest, you know, not the sharpest crayon in the box of Crayolas. But God is strong. Amen. You go to a person who is trustworthy and they point you to God, you will not fail. Why? Because God is not feeble. He goes on. Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps? Wait a minute. No life is restored in one day. 
No matter what you do to your life, God can put you back together again. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. You can't quickly restore what's taken years to tear down. You can see where I'm getting with this. Because when we are silent, when we are the people of depth, when we are the people of wisdom and understanding, we can teach people what it takes to come back to God. But if we're not people that can be trusted, if we're not people who will remain silent and we will not withhold our judgment. These, these guys were, were people living in the area and they were judging the Jews, but they forgot that their God was greater than them. The very last thing that they says, well, can they, can they fish these stones out, these burned rocks and rebuild the wall? Here's the thing. No matter what you were before, you are not burned rocks. You are not damaged goods. No person, how badly they've been hurt and how badly they've been abused, no matter what mistakes they've made, every person is made new in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now think about this. We are silent because we are waiting for the chance to speak to the right person about the right things. Everyone loves to shoot their mouth off about this person, that person, the other person. Yeah, some people do us wrong, and sometimes we need to vent. But, you know, at the same time, sometimes we just need to hold back a little bit, see what God is doing, see what God's about, see where we can speak wisdom. These people were spouting off, saying terrible things, and people say terrible things. Right now, there's going to be a lot of accusations about what happened in astral world. There's going to be a lot of fingers pointed, and, and that's what happens in a situation like this. But those who are looking back and really considering what happened, their thing is not who do we blame, but how do we repair what's been damaged? How do we put it back together? This country's been damaged by the last couple years of COVID. We are badly damaged as people, as a nation, as a society. And it's time for Christians to quit blaming people, quit pointing at this person or that person. There's the problem. There's the problem. Why don't we say the problem is we need to come back to Jesus? We need to get back to God because it says, can you rebuild a house out of these burned rocks? No, you can't. But when God makes you new, he can rebuild anything, a person, a marriage, a family, and a nation. You tell those people on the way to Cancun, they hurt right now, but God can restore them. Nobody else needs to know that. Their family doesn't even need, they need to know that God is the one who can restore them, who can safeguard their marriage, and make it possible for their family to learn and to accept them. But they've got to turn to God first and not turn to anger and not turn to frustration. So that's what I mean right there. That's a practice for the winner. The winner is silent. He listens. She listens. She thinks. And then when it's time, she speaks or he speaks. Go on to the second one. We need to sow with generosity. Okay, so silence is golden. So we're, we're, we're silent. But when it's time to sow the seed, so with generosity. Proverbs eleven sixteen. A gracious woman gains honor, but violent people gain only riches. Stop and think about that. A gracious woman gains honor. Talk about that Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah, we go. But violent people gain only riches. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. The wicked person earns only an empty wage, but the one who sows righteousness earns that true reward. Genuine righteousness leads to life, but pursuing evil leads to death. Y'all know what verse I'm going to pull up next, don't you? Because it's right, written down right here. It's in Proverbs. I'll tell you in a minute. 
Genuine righteousness leads to life, okay? But pursuing evil leads to death. Those with twisted minds, by twisted they mean warped, those with warped minds are detestable to the Lord, but those with blameless conduct are his delight. Be assured that a wicked person will not go unpunished. If you want to remember anything today, remember this. You reap what you sow. You de- if you sow dissension in your community, dissension in a family, dissension among friends, you will reap that dissension in your own life. But the offspring of the righteous will escape. Think about that. The wicked will be punished. The offspring or those who cling to the righteous will escape. So what's all going on here? It's a lot here to unpack. It says a gracious woman receives honor. Have you ever noticed that even though people don't necessarily like godly Christian people who give godly Christian advice, when it comes right down to it, people will say about them, you know, I don't agree with them, but they are such gracious people. They are such kind people. They are such loving people. People see who we really are. They don't always say it. They don't always say it, but they see it. They see the fundamental difference between the person of God and the person of the world. It says a kind man benefits himself. How does a kind person benefit himself? Kindness usually involves giving, right? Giving away to other people, giving away to other situations. That's what it comes down to. I'll tell you where it goes to. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. The point is this. I love it. It says my own favorite thing. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Remember? You reap what you sow. If you give the minimum, give only what you have to, that's all you'll get back. So who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, God doesn't care what you put in the plate. He cares how you feel about what you put in the plate. God doesn't care about those, those acts that you perform, whether it be coming to church or, or giving to the Lottie offering or giving to the Andy Armstrong offering or, or helping out at a mission. He cares about what's going on in the heart. Why are you doing that? What is the motivation behind it? People sometimes see the actions, but they don't always see the motivation. I thought this was funny once I went down to help out with a food shelter. And everybody there was doing court-ordered good deeds. You know, they were doing their, their, their community service because the court told them to be there. You want to see miserable people? Look at people doing court-ordered community service. They resent every second of their life that they're there. They're out there doing good things, but they can't even see the goodness in it. They're out there helping people, but they resent every minute of it. Yet if you're down there because you genuinely have compassion. I mean, Nicole and I went out, we were handing out bread to the homeless. By the way, don't do this unless God calls you to it. It's a very specific ministry. We're out there handing out bread to the homeless. And this guy takes the bread. He says, I don't want this. I want money. I said, I don't have any money. So he got up, threw the bread at me, and proceeded to try to kick me in the pants. And I'm like, Lord, something's not working here. This is not the way this is supposed to go. They're supposed to go, oh, 
bread. Now I can eat. Thank you so much. And I'm like, don't thank me. Thank the Lord who sent me. You know, that's how it's supposed to work. He only wanted the money. He didn't want the food. And you find so many people who are down there who just had this wrong attitude about giving and or receiving, depending on which side of the, of the fence they're on. So I think it's interesting. It says, you must give according to what you have decided in your heart. If you give, you give because God put it in your heart to give. Now, my wife is the one who is completely different from me in that I do not have the genuine gift of hospitality. Those of you who've known me for seven years know this is true. I am not the most hospitable person. I'm not. It's just, I admit it. There it is. My wife, however, will bend over backwards, touch her toes, and stay up late to do something nice for someone else. Because that is her gift. She has the gift of hospitality. My only gift is that I'm extremely loud, and I have no filter on my mouth whatsoever. I'll say whatever it says and not apologize for it. Different gifts, you know, the complimentary. But the whole thing is, you have to exercise that gift. If you don't have the gift of hospitality, don't do anything that requires it. It will be un uncomfortable for you. But when you sow generously, and that might mean your time, listening to people who need to be listened to. And remember, if you're listening, you're listening silently. You're trying to see where's the opportunity for you to speak Jesus into the situation. Not judging the person, because heaven knows everyone gets judged enough as it is. Can I get an amen? Everybody's been judged for whatever the problem is in their life. Don't be the judger. Be the healer. Be the one who comes in and says, okay, yeah, you messed up. Who hasn't? Now, let's talk about how we find you a place where you can be at peace, where you can be back to where you need to be. I like this last part of, first, of uh, 2 Corinthians. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You say, but if I give away everything I have, I'll have nothing left. Have you ever noticed that generous people who give all the time never have a shortage of things to give? I've worked with people in ministry for 30 years. The people who are givers, who they give and give and give, God seems to pour more into their life. Why? Because he knows they're going to give it away. Whether it be uh, financial wealth, whether it be time, whether it be you know, coming down to cut the church grass and, and, and clean up the cemetery and, and do that work, you're not getting paid to do it, but you do it because out of the generosity of your heart. And God tends to put into your life more and more blessing because you keep pouring that blessing out to other people. Remember, we're supposed to be a channel of blessing. That's an old, old song, by the way. We'll get around to it later. You are a channel of blessing. We're not to hold the water. We're not to retain it or hoard it. We're to let it pass through our fingers onto the lives of other people. And that's why it's so important that we sow generously. And if, 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 you, if you have a problem with, with giving things away or giving up of your time, giving up of your energy, uh, then I would say, Lord, Make me more generous. Let me see the need. Let me see the need in other people's lives and let me be able to give to that need. Let me be able to pour it out for them. Because you know, God has everything you will ever need. Because he says, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Is God ever take a break from being generous to us? 
Does God ever take a, a day off and say, you know what? I gave all those people stuff on Sunday. I'm taking Monday off and go fishing. Doesn't work that way. God is in the business of being the giver. And as he gives to us, we turn right around to give to other people. Whether it's baking cookies or making bread or making phone calls or, 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 or doing artwork or doing whatever it is that you do that you use to bless other people, that's what you do. The last thing I want you to see is this. You're listening first. Silence is golden, so you're listening to what's going on. Second thing, you're sowing generously. Whatever you have, you give to that neighbor, and people will begin to know who you are, and they will acquaint that with your relationship with God. Third thing is this. You need to guard your heart. We have seen so much happening in this country because people's hearts are wounded and they're open and they're bleeding and they're vulnerable and people are just angry. Have you noticed that people are angry all the time? Even about little things. You, you, you pull in too close to someone's car and they get out screaming and ranting and raving. They had some guy on the news yesterday. He, uh, he goes up to people who, who uh, come out with shopping carts and they unload their shopping carts and they leave them in the parking lot. And he runs up and he just castigates them. He just rants and raves at their face. Why are you doing this? Why don't you put that back? What are you, a lazy bummer? You know, I'm like, why are you so mad? What are you so angry about that you have to go yell at people for leaving a cart in the middle? Of, I mean, granted, I've gone to Walmart and there's one spot open and there's a cart in the middle of it. But I say, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger person. Nicole, get out, move that cart. <laughs> and, and that way we solve the problem. It is the truth. Take a look at it. Proverbs 11:22. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Wow, that's harsh. Remember, the pig was the most filthy creature in Hebrew culture. It was the most unacceptable creature. You, you can't have pork. You can't have anything to do with pigs. They're just nasty. Uh, we see people raising pigs in, in, the, in the Bible, but they were, they were raising them to sell to the Gentiles who could eat that stuff. The Jews themselves would not eat the pigs because they were filthy. They were, they were dirty creatures. And so to say that a beautiful woman who has no common sense, is like a beautiful golden ring placed in the nose of a pig. Now, Hebrew women wore a small gold ring in their nose as an accent. You know, a lot of women today have the little jewel, jewels or they have the rings in their noses, like you have rings on your fingers or bracelets or bangles or whatever. It was just a, a little beauty accent, but it was wasted on a pig. So it's, it's useless to be a beautiful woman if you have no common sense. Now, if you know who this person is and they're in your life, don't say it. Don't say it. Just keep thinking to yourself, yeah, I should point this out. Don't do that. I heard that. Anyways, number 23. The desire of the righteous will turn out well, but the hope of the wicked leads to wrath. Why? Because they're two fundamentally different directions in life. The desire of the righteous is to what? Please God. What is the hope of the wicked? To acquire more money, to acquire more power. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. I told you, people who are givers receive more and more and more. People who've said, like Charles Stanley, I can't give 10%. Lord, I don't have 10%. And then you give it, and what happens? You get more. All right, Lord, I get it. You give 12%. What happens? You get more. You don't 
give more to get more, but because of your willingness to let go of it, God is able to replace it and then add abundantly to it everything that you need in life. I've never seen a servant of God broke. I've seen them living normal, average, ordinary lives, no Mercedes in the parking lot, you know, no 16-bedroom mansion, unless you're one of those TV preachers, then you have those two. But I mean, I've seen people who are just humble servants of God and ask them, do you have everything you want? No. Do you have everything you need? Yes. I have everything that I need and more. I was sitting there reading this last night, preparing for today, and I looked around my home and I said, Lord, thank you. I have so much more than I ever thought I would have. When I was a kid, I thought, what would my life look like? I didn't know I was going to have a beautiful wife and an incredibly intelligent, bright young woman as a daughter. I didn't know I would have my, my, my house, this wonderful church, the people that I know. I could never have dreamed of having everything I have right now. And I have so much more. Why? Just because every time God says, go do this, and you do it, he takes you to a better and a better and a better place. You have to go there first. You got to trust and obey. Then God blesses. That's the whole point. You got to trust, obey, then God blesses. But let's keep going. So one person gives freely yet gains. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to those who sell it. If you are a miser, if you are cheap, if you are a skinflint, and you hang on to every dime you ever made, thank you, Ebenezer Scrooge, people will hate and despise you. Look at the world today. There's been a call for the top billionaires of the world to each give an exorbitant amount of money to raise $6 billion, and they said it will end world hunger forever. Can you imagine it? $6 billion, this guy says, will solve world hunger forever. Elon Musk said, okay, I'll give it all to you. Prove it works. The person said, I can't do that. Well, then why are you asking for it? Musk is a smart guy. You prove to me that me giving up all this money will make a difference in the whole world, and I'll be glad to do it. But if you can't show me it works, I'm not giving you anything. I respect that. I respect that. He was willing to receive that information, and if it was true, he was willing to do it. He seems like that kind of guy. But that's, that's the thing I, I think is interesting. If you hang on to things so tightly, you know you're going to lose them. But if you're willing to let them go in God's time, for God's purposes, you'll always get everything back. So a generous person will be enriched, will be praised, will be loved, will be held up. And then the one who gives out water freely will always have what he needs. But the people who hang on to everything to the last penny, those are the ones that will lose everything. The one who searches for what is good seeks favor. Now, what's good? The knowledge of God, wisdom. Wisdom has been that... That's hallmark through the first 11 chapters. Whoever seeks wisdom will receive that wisdom, which is the best. But if someone looks for trouble, it will come to him. That is the truth. You go looking for trouble, it'll find you. Because it's out there waiting for someone just like you. 
It says this, anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The one who brings ruin on his household will inherit the wind. And if you don't know that phrase, y'all need to underline that. The one who troubles his own house inherits the wind. And a fool will be a slave to someone whose heart is wise. Remember, that, that was the title of the movie about the Scopes trial, the great monkey trial. Uh, it was called Inherit the Wind. And they showed this, this fanatical Christian preacher slash a lawyer as going after these people who are preaching evolution in, in the public school. And it's about how he winds up destroying his own family and destroying the families of all those around him because he, he clings to this thing. And it was a very, shall we say, one-sided representation because anyone who studied history knows that the Scopes trial was a joke because they were, the teacher who taught evolution was hired to do it. He was paid to do it. He was paid to go to trial, and they paid for all the, all the charges later. They knew he was going to lose because he clearly broke the law. But they had him break the law so they could begin a process to move us away from the teaching of the Bible toward the teaching of the temporary wisdom of man. It amazed me that in the last two years, last two years, I have seen articles come out in the scientific press which have revoked virtually everything that was said prior to those two years ago. I've seen them undo the age of the universe, undo the age of the earth, undo the age of man. They can't decide on what's right and what's wrong. They keep looking for some kind of evidence. They skipped Proverbs 14, 12. If y'all ever want to have fun, Proverbs 14, 12 is one of those verses I have held throughout my life. There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of death. If you trust your own wisdom over the wisdom of God, you will lose. You will lose. It's amazing to me. Verse 29 of Proverbs 11, the one who brings ruin on his house will inherit the wind and a fool will be a slave to someone whose heart is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but a cunning person takes lives. If the righteous will be repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinful. I've always thought to myself, what did Charles Darwin have in his mind the last few moments of his life? In the 1850s, he wrote his book about the descent of man. Even he admitted in the book, I have absolutely no evidence for this theory, but I'm putting it out there anyways. The last time I checked, in science, that's heresy. You can't scientifically state that something is true if you don't even have superficial evidence of its truth. You can't do that. Do you realize how many people in junior highs across America have been exposed to the lie of evolution? I'm talking macro evolution if you want to, not micro. I'm talking about molecules to man evolution as opposed to changes within a species. How many people have given up their faith in God because they read somewhere that we have proven that man is descended from monkeys? From the goo to the zoo to you. 
They've read that. He who troubles his own house will inherit nothing. Nothing. A cunning person takes lies. Takes lives. All those, and I, I have friends who are professors at the university, and they, they firmly believe in evolution, and I will ask them, Doc, can you prove it? Can you absolutely prove that this is true? And they go, no, of course we can't prove it. But we think so. Oh my gosh, we think so. You're telling generation after generation of students. Some of these are PhD students, by the way. You're telling them that there is no God, that their life is a cosmic accident, and that when they die, there's just dirt and worms. You're telling them that, and you're making them believe it. When the truth is, when they die, they will stand before a holy God who will judge them. That's right. He will judge them for what you have taught them. I can't imagine the horror in the minds of these professors when at that moment of death they open their eyes before the great white throne of judgment and they know that they followed their own teaching, their own mindset the whole time. See, if we're silent, we can hear what people are saying. We can hear their hurt. We can hear the misery of their heart and their questioning spirit. We can hear it. And you know what? If we sow generously our time, our, our efforts, our talents, our finances, we put that into the lives of people so that we can win a hearing. This is the greatest burden of my existence. I became a pastor for one reason, one reason only. People don't know Jesus. That's the only reason I stand up here. It's the only thing that could get me out of bed on a Sunday morning is people are dying without Jesus Christ. Eight children died this week. Did they know Christ? I don't know. One of them could have been one of my students from school. One of them could have been one of the kids that comes in my store. Will I not see them this week? And if I don't see them, were they ready for eternity? It's a heavy burden to lay on people. But we all know people who could learn from us. We may not be the sharpest crayons in the box. My little compass for drawing circles might be bent. But I know one thing. There is a God in heaven who saves whosoever cries out to Christ. That's the truth of it. Amos 8, 11 through 12, and we are done. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh our God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of Yahweh. They shall wonder and wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh, but they shall not find it. I wonder how many people wandered into church today into a church that taught them, God wants you healthy, God wants you wealthy, God wants you successful, God wants you to have an easy life. And they leave not knowing that there is a God who can save them from their sins. Amos 8, 11 and 12 is today. Right now, in the holy land of Texas, this is the world we live in. And this is why we have to be listening. And we have to be willing to give our time. It's exhausting to help people. It's exhausting to help that family member 
who seems to keep hitting their head against a wall. It's hard. That's what this world's about. Letting them know that I've heard the joyful noise. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Amen? Let's pray.